0: Christian living in our homes. It's easier when we get together in a group to, can I use the word bluff? Pretend? I don't mean to be harsh, but sometimes when we're out in public, we can maybe give a persona that is not necessarily the way everyday living is but what's exciting as we've studied the book of Ephesians is we now come to a point where we can see doctrine and how our doctrine impacts our behavior what you believe affects how you behave and sometimes you know we look at well you know this is what we do at church and this is this is what the bible says but how does that impact the way that I live Two weeks ago, as we were looking at, uh, in fact, I think it's been three weeks ago now, as we were looking at Ephesians chapter 5, we see how our doctrine impacts the way we live in our homes, and specifically in chapter 5, we were looking at our marriage. If you're married today, or maybe you're looking forward to a day when you're hoping to be married, all of a sudden you begin looking and saying, what does a marriage look like? How do I treat my spouse? And sometimes we, we fall into the, well, my church says you're supposed to do this, or my church says you're supposed to do this. But you know what's so much more comforting and safe is to be able to say, my Bible says this is the way that it is. Someone was asking me yesterday, they said, so you guys are starting a church? And I said, well, yes, we are. And they were very excited for us. And he said, and I've heard that you're Baptist. And I said, that's true. He said, what does that mean? And I said, well, I said, the best way to describe it is if the Bible says it, that's what we believe. And he said, well, it would be nice if every church would do that, but we know that's not the case. And I said, well, that's true. And I said, we use the word Baptist name because we believe in immersion. And because we believe in immersion, we put that name there so that you understand how we think the Bible talks about the doctrine concerning baptism. But my focal point always is, what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? And that's going to be very important for us as we study the doctrine in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, and now we're looking at the practical application. If you look again at chapter 5, verse 15 with me, and there you'll see he says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise. And you remember as we studied that a number of weeks ago, what did we find out? It's possible to walk as a foolish person. It's possible to live as a foolish person. And the Apostle Paul says, oh, don't live that way. Live as a wise person. Then we look at verse 18, and what does he tell us to do in verse 18? He says, and be not drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of alcohol, but just as you can see The impact of alcohol on a person's life, when they have it in their system, he says, in that same way, be filled with the Spirit. And then he began giving a practical application of what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit. Remember, he says, I believe it's in verse 22, uh, how about verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, we are born selfish. We are born self-centered. We are born wanting our own way. But if you're going to live in society, if you're going to live with other people, you can't live that way. And people like you. So what happens? How do you live differently? And we see in our society today a society that's coming off the rails. A society that is all focused on themselves. And God's word says, let me tell you, how you can live the right way he says be under the influence of the holy spirit and when you're under the influence of the holy spirit you can learn to submit to one another to think of their best interests and then we began with marriage and he says let's talk about marriage for a little bit and you're going to see this sequence into chapter five and the beginning of chapter six where you're going to see you watch he's going to talk about the person who is to be under someone and then he's going to talk about the person that is over that person and then he's going to tell you and here's what it looks like here's what that should be like and you're going to see this pattern repeated with marriage the family unit and then he talked about the house servants and we won't get into that today but this was all people that you're living very closely with so they can see you day in and day out. And it's not something you can pretend when you just kinda are out for an hour and then you go back and you become something different at home. So today we're gonna look at that second installment beginning at chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I asked Brother Micah if he would read from Psalm 78 this morning. And as he read from Psalm 78, uh, let's turn back to that text again, because I want you just to see something with me. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have taught us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Let's pause for just a moment. You notice in verse three what they have committed that they're going to do They're going to make sure that people know God and specifically that children know God. Picking back up at verse four, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works which he had done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. They're now telling a personal testimony. He appointed a law in Israel that they should make them known to their children. Notice the responsibility. God, when he gives something to us, he expects us, that generation, to pass it on to the next generation. It doesn't just happen. Children are not born with this understanding of, oh, here's what all God wants me to do, and here's how I'm going to handle things. God has given us something that we are to pass down to the next generation. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. Isn't that interesting how God knows even the children who are not born yet? That's a totally different discussion for us, but it sure makes us pause and think, doesn't it, about life and children before they're born. And these children, verse 6, end of it, who should arise and declare them to their children for this purpose. Here's why we're telling children, both our children and others around us, which is an interesting family dynamic, even of the church, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation, what does that mean? A generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You see what he's describing for us? He's telling us, he says, as we look at doctrine, and as we look at what's coming, and we're back in Ephesians in just a moment, we're going to look at that. what What he wants you to see is, he says, the home is so important. And how will we teach our children? If we were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you would find this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. He's telling you this has to be established in your hearts, and then he says this. He says, And you're going to need to talk about these things with your children when you're just out and about, and when you're home, when you're sitting down, Maybe when you're eating or maybe before you go to bed or maybe when you're just sitting, doing really not a lot of anything. And when you're up and you're walking, he says, I want you to have it everywhere. He says, verbally, we should be telling people these things. And then, you know, he goes on and he says, write these on the doorposts of your house. Visually, he says, let them know. Let your children know what's important to you. So as we get into this text, so often, you know, we dive right in. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, and you better get this right. You better obey, buddy, because you're really going to get in trouble. But you know, really, what does the scripture say? He's already begun by saying, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. And he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Now, that same pattern now falls into our family relationships. How do our children learn how to love God and submit to God and trust God and know that he's a good God rather than being an angry God? You know, the first view of God that our children ever get is by their parents because they are learning to submit to you. And it's so important because you, there's gonna be a day when they are learning to submit to God. And so they look in your life and they see what kind of dad, And if, if I could maybe be a little, a little harder on us men for just a moment here, they see us and they see, are we kind? Are we fair? Do we do things for their benefit? Now, there are times that they're just not going to want to do what you want them to do. Not because you're being unkind or because you're unfair or because you're being selfish, but just because they are. But the reality is, as parents, we get to show them what God is like. And that totally changes the way I look at how I'm gonna treat my wife, how I'm gonna treat my children, because it's not about me, it's about my God. And when they see my God, they're gonna look at my God through the lens of what they've seen in me. Do I sacrifice for them? So that when I ask, and I say, we're gonna go this direction, they say, you know, I don't see that. But I do know this. He's doing this for my good. He's doing this for my benefit. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Why is this so important? We have to be modeling this obedience. You know, I find it fascinating. I believe it's six times through the book of Ephesians that he talks about us being children. It's not until we hit chapter six that it's actually referring to someone who's younger. This whole idea of responding to our heavenly father is such an important thing for us. And here's the reason why. Our children are growing up in a world where one, they as children have a sin nature. That may be a shock to some of you, but your children actually do have a sin nature. So they have a sin nature. They're living in a world that is subtle, that is deceitful, that's showing you, that's showing them, oh, the Bible's not the truth. The real fun is doing it this way. And what they've done is they've never shown you what's behind the curtain, they don't show you. results of that kind of lifestyle our children are growing up in a world of sinful relationships and what it means to enjoy and to genuinely care for someone today everything that they see is all about selfishness and doing what they have to do to get what they want They're growing up in a world whose morals and values are skewed. Our children are growing up um, where there is this constant contrast of what a home should be like. In fact, if you were to look at what the world is teaching, they're just thinking if we could release them from their families, release them from parental control release them from all restrictions, then maybe they can finally develop into the person they should be. But you see, the problem is, is that that's just the opposite. So we come to our text today, and he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now here's the interesting part. It's really written to those who are in a preaching service who are able to hear this letter read, who were already old enough to make the moral choice that they're going to obey. That's not to say with our children that we don't teach them to obey now. But the reality is, it's really talking to people Zach's age, Noah's age. You start thinking, okay, I get to make a choice. You know, and you've heard me say this over and over again. You're free to choose. You're just not free to choose the consequences. You know when you're when you're little and and they're a lot bigger than you, they can sometimes make you because they just by sheer brute force can make you. But but the conversation here is this: notice he says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands." Now those are co-equals. This isn't a person that's greater and then a person that's lesser. No, the women, you're co-equals. The scripture is very clear about that, and yet the scripture says. Ladies, submit to your own husband. Now he says, children, submit to your parents. He tells us, he says, first of all, why? Because it's right. He says, obey your parents in the Lord because this is the right thing to do. It is the honorable thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. When God looks at your life and he sees how you respond, he says, it's right to obey your parents. He didn't say if your parents were saved. Now, the one thing that we would say, the same way with the wives as she would submit to her husband, as the husband is going to do the things that would be best for the wife, and children, as you're asked, you can only submit to the point that they're not asking you to do wrong. Because the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority that gives me authority in my home is God. I don't have the right to violate God's law. Now, as you would obey, as you would obey, as you would submit, all of a sudden you say, but if I don't do what my parents asked me to do, even if it's wrong, I'm gonna gonna really catch it. And if that's the case, then you would submit and you would kindly say, I can't do that because that's what that would be against what God says. And you'll have to kindly take the punishment that comes with it. And your submission rather than your defensiveness will be a testimony. So as we think about this, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You're gonna see two things here that he describes. He says, first of all, your obedience, your submission. Notice it says, to your parents. So it's talking about your mom and your dad. As you get older, especially you guys, the older you get, the more you're going to push back against your mom's authority as you're maturing. But you always need to remember, for the Lord's sake, I'm going to obey. I'm just going to have a sweet attitude about it. I'm going to do what I'm asked to do because I love the Lord. Wives would have a very hard time submitting to their husband. Husbands would have a very hard time loving their wife. Children will have a very hard time submitting to their parents. But you have the Holy Spirit in you. When you get saved, you now have the Holy Spirit that empowers you, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you can submit to your parents. But notice what he goes on to say. He not only says, children, obey your parents, he says, honor your father and your mother. And he says, this is the first commandment with promise. Now, It would be another day's discussion if you were, some would go through and say, yeah, well, I think there was a promise. It was a negative promise, but there were negative promises in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments, and I'm not even going to drive down that path this morning. Um, There are interesting thoughts that we could go through that, but I don't think for us to stay on task this morning, it would help us, other than just to say this, God says, here is the command with promise. Now you are not under law, you're under grace. But, but the law was to force you to do something. Here we have the righteousness of the law. The only thing that we find in scripture where we don't see it repeated in the New Testament is the, remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Here we find Old Testament is being taught to us, New Testament, and taught to us that we should be under this he says honor your father and mother that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth notice the switch there in the old testament says in the land in the land talking about the land of israel but you see the church isn't the same as israel we totally believe the promises to israel were promises to israel the promises to the church are promises to the church What God promised to Israel, he will fulfill in the future. So notice the word change here. He said that thou mayest live long, not in the land, because the land belongs to Israel. That thou mayest live long on the earth. So what's he telling you? Here's a promise to you. He says, if you will listen to your mom and dad, if you'll submit to them and you'll honor them, you will elevate them. He says, things will go well for you. Remember, as we were studying in Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we read, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Notice, it's always in this discussion of with parents. He says, forget not my law, let thine heart keep my commandment." And notice what he says, for length of days and long life notice those two differences one is talking about a length of life a quantity of life and one is talking about a quality of life for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee here in the new testament the apostle paul repeats that again the model has always been listen to your parents and if you will submit to your parents you'll obey your parents And obeying has the idea of, and honoring has the idea of not only doing what they say, but doing it with the right attitude. For us as parents, it's our responsibility to teach them how to do it. They do not come out of the box obeying and honoring. It just won't happen. That's our responsibility. So he says, he says, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. Notice now he follows the same pattern. The one who is under, he addresses first, and now he talks to the one who's over. And now he says, and ye fathers. Now I believe the broad teaching, because he's been talking about two parents, I believe the broad teaching would be, and ye fathers and mothers. But I believe there was a reason why he only addressed the fathers. In the culture of that day, fathers had absolute rule. And they weren't kind. They weren't gentle. In fact, Seneca, uh, a Roman back uh, in Bible days, back before Bible days, he would speak of the fact it was... um, Uh, there's a note where he wrote to his wife, and he said, uh, some will be coming back. I may not be coming back soon. Please take care of our child. Hope things are going well, uh, if he is worthy. And the idea was, if you have a child that's not doing well, you can can choose what you're going to do with him. The dads could either embrace a new child, or they could abandon a child. And that was acceptable in Roman law. So notice what he does. He comes and he speaks to the dads and he says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, we are very quick to say, children obey your parents, children obey your parents. But how about us as moms and dads? How do we present the authority figure? Are we harsh? Are we mean? Are we angry? Are we impatient? What really stood out to me as I was reading this and thinking about this was the last three words of the Lord. You and I are presenting what the Lord is like. the way I correct my children. Last week, we got a new puppy. And having a new puppy in the house is reminding me of feelings that I have not had in a while (laughs) of when they do things repeatedly that are not what I wanted them to do. And the Lord, in his timing, brought that new creature into my home well, I'm looking at these texts. You know, even that little puppy is something that God made. And I have to be a good steward of this puppy, and I need to teach this puppy that I'm someone you want to love. I'm someone who is kind and gentle, even when you do things you shouldn't be doing over and over. And over again. But now we talk about someone who has a soul, our children. And he says, and ye fathers. You know, sometimes we can, we can get this idea of I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the king. I can do whatever. And we've got this obey your children, obey your parents, and you oh, you honor me. You're going to need to obey me, and you need to honor me because God says you're supposed to. But we haven't really taken a look in the mirror to say, Am I reflecting what God looks like? Am I I really showing what God would have me to do? Sometimes it's easier to let our children do wrong, to be honest with you. We're just tired and we're weary. But the reality is we are the reflection of who God is. So he goes on and he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. How do we provoke our children? For some of you who, your children are grown, we think back and then we think about even with our grandchildren, or maybe some of you with great grands. How do we provoke them to anger? You know, one way that we do it sometimes is that we never let them grow up, it's not intentional. We just kind of, you know, you hear the term helicopter parents, and I'm not certain that I really like that concept because the whole point is is that I'm responsible before God for that individual, and I need to make sure that I've done it right. But my responsibility to this individual is so that he can stand before the Lord. He's going to be out on his own. One day he better be. But, you know, I mean, he's going to grow up. And I'm proud of him for growing up. I don't want to keep him as a child. I want him to learn to make right decisions. As a parent, your job flips as they grow older and you move into a coaching stage. You know how a coach lets the kids play the game? At least they're supposed to. And then you see him call timeout real quick. So whoa, 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 wait, wait, okay, let's all get together. We got this coming up, here's how to run this play. But once you've talked with them, what do you have to do? You have to put them back in the game again and you stand back on the sidelines and sometimes you go, Okay, let's try that again. It's okay, you know, it's not as bad as it looks, we'll try this again. And then there are other times you're going, yes, yes, you did it, you did it right, you got it right this time. I'm so proud of you. That's parenting. Sometimes we don't let our kids grow up and it frustrates them. Mom, I am 40. (laughs) Sometimes we provoke our children to wrath because they are, we play favorites. You know, I mean, all children are different. They have different dispositions. Maybe you've got one that's just easy to love and you've got one that's not so. Maybe you've got one that just, like you say something and they get it. And you've got one and they don't seem to ever get it. And what do you do? When we play favoritism, think of Isaac. What happened with with Isaac and, and Leah? You know, one, one really liked Jacob. One really liked Esau. How'd that go for him? Not so good. Then you've got Jacob, who was showing favoritism to Joseph. And you know, isn't it interesting that God, to protect Joseph, let him be sold? So that Joseph could become the man God wanted him to be because Jacob wasn't getting it. You know, that's a totally different discussion, but isn't that an interesting discussion that God would choose to remove a son out of a home so that the son could learn what he needs to learn? We can provoke our children to wrath, to anger, when we show favoritism. We can show, we can provoke our children to wrath when we're unreasonable. You know, I've learned with a puppy, to make them stop doing something... You really can't just hold them so tight that they can't move. Because what do they do? They just either they start crying and whining, or they start nipping, or they just keep struggling harder and harder and harder. And you'll find there's a point with your children where you need to really think through am I being reasonable in what I'm asking for the age they are? You know, I, I stand amazed. That's some of you who have your children just sitting here in the auditorium, and they're just... Now, they're going to do things at times, especially when you're not prepared or when it was really inconvenient. They're going to do things that really make you uncomfortable, and they're going to make you feel like you're a horrible parent. And you just need to know that happens to every parent. I don't expect you, and I hope you don't expect me, when we walk into the building, that my family's gonna be perfect. We're a sinful family. And I give you that same understanding. You have a sinful family. And all of us are coaching this whole process. So what we have to do is we have to take whatever opportunities we have, whatever circumstances we have, and it's our job to teach them don't be unreasonable don't expect them if you if you got a two-year-old you got a three-year-old if you've got a whatever you need to really think age appropriateness and say how long can they do this how long can they sit this long could they be learning in a better environment you know that we offer children's church for that reason so that they can learn they're still learning God's word, they're learning Bible principles, but they're learning in packets that that age group can handle. And it's just, it's important for us to keep that in mind. Sometimes I believe we, we push them, uh, we provoke them to anger by discouragement. Just pause and think for a moment with me. How much positive reinforcement have you given recently? You know, I don't stop doing that when my children got married. I texted my two boys who are preaching this morning. Told them how proud I am of them. Told them I was praying for them. As I told you then, I texted a a preacher friend of mine and just told him how much I, I esteem him highly in the ministry. Do you know even if they're not your children, when you catch a child doing something good here at church, tell them. Tell them and make a big deal out of it. As I'm watching all these puppy videos trying to figure out what do you do with this little furball. Do you know what they tell you to do? When you're first teaching something, you you give the command and if you get just a split second, reward them immediately so that they learn, oh, that was a good thing. I did a good thing. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're working on all kinds of stuff, and I mean, you, you, you'll hear lots of praise in our home because when they see, oh, that was a good thing. Oh, I'll do that again. I got a treat for that. I got a whatever. It does take some negative, but there's a whole lot more positive that we could be using all the time in encouraging our children. When we discourage our children, Colossians chapter three talks about don't discourage them which tells you our goal is to build them up. Our goal is to encourage them. And I think sometimes in trying to make our children look right, we're more concerned about what other people think than what we are about the process of getting them where they need to be. You know, sometimes you just need to have one of those moments with your children and you're around a lot of other people. And here's one simple thing you can do with your children. You need to make sure that you have eye contact, that they're focused on you. So sometimes you just have to get down on your knees, get at their level, and then you put your hands like this, like blinders on a horse, so that it's just you and them, and the whole world has just disappeared. And you have to, and you don't have to talk mean or ugly, you just have to say, okay, and we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to bite. I want you to stop. Do you have any questions? Do you understand? And you may have to have that conversation a couple times. And you may have to reinforce it. But let me tell you, what you can do immediately is when they're playing, you can immediately walk over and go, I'm so proud of you for not biting. I'm so proud of you for you walked partway down the hallway. I'm so proud of you. You sat for the first little bit of church and you sat really still? Daddy was so proud of you? Now, you may have to do the other correction, but you know what, if we're constantly negative, all they know is they get attention when you're negative. You know, when these four verses give you the basis for a family parenting unit, how else can we provoke our children to anger? when we expect them to be more mature than what they are. And each child's different. My oldest child, people thought was older than what he was. He just looked older. He did things. And I gave him privileges that were totally based on how he was acting. And sometimes parents would say, you let your child do that really? And I said, well, yeah, he's, he's earned the privilege. I trust him. And they were like, I can't believe that. Now, can't be foolish with that, but I would encourage you, just remember whatever level they're at. Each child is different. My brother has a Down syndrome daughter. Do you know her responses are different than some of the other children in his family. He still has expectations, but he understands here's what she can do, and he expects her to do that. Now, as, as we've thought about, how do we provoke? Sometimes by just smothering a child and not letting them learn, by showing favoritism, by being unreasonable, by discouraging them, by always being negative or critical, by sometimes not letting them grow up. Sometimes we withhold our love We give them the impression that we love them when they do good, and when they don't do good, we don't love them. You say, I don't mean to do that. You know, our children need to know because, do you know God loves you unconditionally today? And it's not based on how well you've performed this week. You say, I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. I said something I should not have said. I reacted in a way I should not have reacted. Does that mean God doesn't love you today? You know, sometimes you just have to say, I love you so much. This action is hurting you, and therefore I'm going to have to stop you. I'm not going to let you have this privilege right now because we need to focus on this action which is hurting you. But please know I love you. I'll always love you. We may have to cry together if you make bad decisions, but I still love you. You see, this... So often, because we're just looking at six words, provoke not your children to wrath, we move right through this verse and we tend to make it something almost non-existent. And we really focus on children, obey your parents and the Lord and honor your parents. But we haven't modeled what a parent should be. You know, one day, I mean, if it's the Lord's will, one day each of my children will be parents. And what they're going to do, by default, is what they saw me and what they saw Cindy do. Now, they're going to go back to the scriptures, but in the spur of a moment, their reaction is going to be what they saw me do. Now, the question is, do I want them to imitate what I do? Do you want your children to imitate what you do? Do you want your grands to imitate what you do? If not, you know the blessing is, thank you, Lord, for showing this to me. Now I get a chance to adjust. I get a chance to change. The last way that we provoke our children is one that we hear a lot about in our society, and that is abuse. Maybe some of you have been watching in the news about the Clorinda School. It's in Iowa. It's about midway through the state. I knew of it. No, it's, it's in the western part of the state. I knew of it, but it's a school for <coughs> children, young adults who are doing wrong. So they bring them there, but what they're finding is is that because it's not scripturally based, and even sometimes scripturally based, play, say they're scripturally based, they do not reflect what God is like. And there's been Abuse. It happens in Christian homes you get angry you lose control and the sin nature strikes out maybe that's happened in your life you know the only thing you can do is to go back to them and say I was wrong what you were doing was wrong but my response to you did not honor God. I was wrong. You see, when we overreact, do, you do that again. I'm gonna. And we overreact. And you have to remember, everything we do is a reflection of what our God is like. Parenting is not for wimps. It is not. It doesn't come naturally for me. I'm so thankful. I had a mom and a dad that were really tried to reflect Jesus Christ. I would have never thought my dad ever had a temper. My dad told me, he said, when I was in eighth grade, he said, I had such a temper. He said, I finally just, he said, I quit athletics because every time I would compete, I, was, I would get angry because it didn't go my way. And so I, I stopped playing sports so that I could get myself under control. Well, I never knew my dad as an eighth grader. My dad was just... But just because I had parents that did it right or did their best to do it right, I still had to work through things as a parent. But, you know, each of us, if we've got issues with our temper, if we've got issues with our language, if we've got issues... We need to honestly confront that because the sake of our children and the next generations that aren't even born yet are depending on us to show them what God is like. Now notice he says, I want you to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are four areas. I'm gonna move through these pretty quickly and maybe we can come back to these at some point. There are four areas that we're responsible for helping our children grow up. Luke 2.52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Can I just focus on these four areas real quickly? I am responsible for my children intellectually. Wisdom. Now you may choose to homeschool, you may choose to private school, you may choose to public school. You may choose because no matter what location they're in, they're going to be around sinners. I'll just tell you that, okay? If you homeschool, they're going to be around sinners all day long. If you choose to private school, they're going to be around sinners. If you choose to Christian school, they're going to be around sinners. If you choose to public school, oh, there's lots of sinners there. Well, I would say the ratio is still pretty high in each of the other three I've mentioned. Sinners, sinners, sinners. Everywhere you go, they're sinners. So, I need to be teaching them intellectually. Now, I would encourage you. Spend time with your children. Have it your goal. Every day you're going to spend time with your children in the scriptures. Some people call it family devotions or family worship or whatever. Let me encourage you to do that. If you say, I don't know what to do. I can't take time right now, but if you'll come up and ask me, I would be glad to help you. We would be glad to share with you. Here's what we've done over the years. I would be glad to share with you what my parents did with me. But that's your job. It's not the church's job. We're here to help you, but it's your job with your children. Intellectually, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. It's our job to help them mature, not only intellectually, but it's our job to help them mature physically. Right? Diet, exercise, that whole aspect of growing up. Um, There may be things that you're going to have to teach your children to like that's good for them don't lose heart that's just the way it is and you just keep working at it and you just keep working at it physically third area is spiritually we've talked a lot about that but it's really important it's your job to teach them the nurture and admonition of the Lord letting them grow up spiritually the greatest mission field you will ever have is your family. There's so many things I enjoy doing in life. But the number one thing God gave me for children its my responsibility. You may have one. Maybe you would say, I I don't even have any, but If you'll allow me for just a moment to focus on those who have one or many. That's your mission, field. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't mean that they will get it. I model it. We put scripture up in our home. But I also have to speak it. Please, understand, they have to grow up intellectually. They have to grow up physically. They have to grow up spiritually. The fourth area is, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, spiritually with God, socially with man. One of the things that often the world looks at us as we try to protect our kids from all these things that are out in the world our children never grow up socially. They have to learn how to go through things and rather than isolate them, I think we need to consider how we'll insulate them from the lies of Satan. You know how that takes place is by telling them the truth and by spending time letting them see how you react to the world. And you talk about things, but not in an angry way, just in a... Here's what's happened, and here's what I have to do. Learning socially how to interact to where they can stand and they can interact. I've told you for our family, this is the first year for us. We've never been in the public school system. Well, that's, that's not true. We've never been totally in the public school system. Our, each of our children at some point have been dual enrolled in the public school system and they interacted with unsaved kids for a chunk of the day and it was good for them we there was a lot of instruction that had to go with that but you know i mean i'm finding i i wouldn't say i'm shocked but i've been surprised i was around a lot of christian school children and there were often that children didn't react well This past week, I was with a large group of public school children all day. And you know, when my wife and I would walk into a room, if the chairs were full, there were multiple children that immediately would stand up and say, please take our chair. I'd say, no, 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 please. And they said, no, no, please. Really, you need need the chair, we will stand. And I said, do I look that bad? (laughs) But you know the reality was, somebody's parents taught these children how to socially interact and how to show respect. I don't believe that every one of those children that stood for to give Cindy and I chairs, I don't believe they were all believers. I'm pretty certain they weren't. I think sometimes in trying to push our spiritual agenda, which is not bad, They need to know God. We have forgotten how to teach them how to interact with society, with people that we don't necessarily agree with, but those are people who are made in God's image, and we want to show love and kindness. You see, as as we're going through this, all of a sudden we begin realizing, wow, I have this huge responsibility as a parent. I have a huge responsibility to make sure that I have passed on to the next generation. And it may be, you would say, well, I don't, have a, I don't have a believing spouse, or I don't have a spouse that is living the right way. Could I encourage you with this? One of, one of the heroes who is a quiet person in the New Testament is Timothy. Timothy, from everything we could tell, had an unsaved dad, but he had a grandmother and a mother that loved the Lord. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you will find that a believing parent can claim those children that are in their home even though they have an unsaved parent that's there. And that 1 Corinthians 7 says, or else how will these children ever be holy? But you. You see the practical application of the doctrine. We talked in the beginning, chapter one, of God, who's such a great God, and He planned, has all this plan for us, and He has He's let us be redeemed, and then He has revealed His plan to us. He treats us as mature and brings us along, and what an incredible opportunity! Now that practically, what do we do as parents? We bring our children along. We're giving them an opportunity to see we love them, they're not a bother. We give them all that we can give them. You may not be able to give them everything that another parent can give financially, but more than anything, our children need to know that we're willing to share what we have and they're not a bother. Christian living in the home. Who wouldn't want a home like that? Who wouldn't want a home where they are loved and respected, and they're given an opportunity to mature and yet not given so much that they hurt themselves. And they're taught what a great God so that the rest of their life, when they grow up and they move out of your home, they have the opportunity to point the next generation to not be stiff-necked, but trust the Lord.